Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. It's the the brand new year, 2022, and we thought, what better way to ring in the new year than to bring forth a, a movie that has a year in its name? We're reviewing the 2009 disaster movie, 2012. Oh, which just made it so confusing to find. I uh, am so excited for season seven because we didn't know if we'd, we'd make it. To no. hear because we always, you know, we follow the community model of six seasons in a movie. Technically, we've done six seasons and this would just be the one movie. Yep. So if we wanted this to be the podcast finale, it would make sense. But it's not the end of the podcast, but it is the end of the world. As we know it. How do they not use the song? How do they not use the song, Ricky? Yeah. Did I miss it? Did I did it pass me by? It played very loudly in my head as the credits were rolling. <laughs> it's a year of the world as we know it. Uh, I'm sure that's not going to get flagged. Anyway, we <laughs> <They> got <us>. are... <laughs> Dead to rights. It's been a good run. Uh, so uh, this movie has such an interesting history just in pop culture. So, But before we do that... I just want to let you know, welcome to our podcast. We like to review old movies based on new movies that are in the theaters. Uh, Moonfall is in the theaters, which is a loose-ish tie-in because it's also a disaster movie and mm. the moon is there. Yeah. Um, the moon can be seen several times throughout this movie. Uh, but if for the off chance that you weren't aware culturally in 2012, maybe we have some Gen Z listeners. Let me explain to you. Just the just the environment. So 2012 is a movie based off of the real life thought, like real world thought that <laughs> the world would end on December 21st, 2020. And this prediction is itself based on the fact that the Mesoamerican long count calendar, also known as the Mayan calendar, rolls over around that vicinity, much in the same way that the Gregorian calendar rolled over on 2001 uh aka y2k so uh that was the landscape that we are living in uh in the early aughts we already survived y2k and it just felt too good to be true there were several other predictions that the world was going to end uh and originally i want to say it was like 2009 i think at some point in time someone somewhere on the planet said that the world was going to end in 2009 on a very specific date. And when that didn't happen, they're like, no, it's going to be 2012 because of the, the Mayan calendar. And we got three years to figure this out. (laughs) Right. And so a lot of these things that were happening in the movie, people were to some degree doing in real life. A lot of people were talking about 2012 being the end of everything and that's yeah, just that's yeah. not even like background about the movie that's, that's just, just history that was just history well and a lot of that came from misinterpretations of historical text and and all that kind of stuff and i mean for example this year 2022 yep. uh when we hit midnight and we rolled over into the new year my car freaked out in such a way that uh my clock 
is now locked back into 2002. It was a 20-year <laughs> clock. So every time I turn my car on, it tells me it's January 1st, Sunday of 2002 at 3 o'clock. I, I can't fix it. I've tried. I've looked in the manual. So if some archaeologist <laughs> finds a white Honda CRV 2,000 years from now and somehow gets it running... They could say, well, yeah, they thought the world was going to end right here. <laughs> Why would, because they didn't build clocks that could go into 2022. Yep. So misunderstandings happen at a, at a profound level. And it, it, you know, it got us this movie. So maybe it's all yeah. worth it. Yeah. There was just a ton of speculation. And so that's kind of, you know, something that propelled this movie forward. They decided to get, you know, who else to direct this movie other than uh, Roland Emmerich. Uh, he is the director of The Day After Tomorrow, Independence Day, and oh. a bunch of other things in which the White House just gets destroyed. Yeah, okay. Yeah. This guy hates the White House. Oh, man. Just as, a, as, just as an architectural feat, every movie that I've seen that he's directed, it hasn't made it to the end of the movie. Mm. Yeah, and so um, he originally, he said that he wanted to always do a biblical flood movie, but I never felt I had the hook. I first heard about Earth's crust displacement theory and Graham Hancock's Fingerprints of the Gods book, and then he and composer-producer Harold Closser worked closely together in co-writing a spec script, also titled 2012, which was marketed to studios in February 2008, and then... Sony said, we're going to make that movie. They decided to make this movie, but because, you know, the whole premise was that it would happen on December 21st. It was a very specific day. Uh, they decided, let's make it midsummer because we don't want to have to decorate the sets for the holidays. Mm. So they did that. And uh, there was a lot of marketing campaigning that they did, uh, viral marketing that kind of crossed some lines of some people were legitimately concerned that the world was going to end in 2012. Okay, uh, the War of the Worlds kind very, of situation. Yeah. Very that. Part of their viral marketing campaign was uh, they launched a website that was powered by the Institute for Human Continuity, where filmgoers could register for a lottery number to be part of a small population which would be rescued from the global destruction. Oops. Yeah. Well, I feel like that was the time when people were really big into that kind of marketing. Like oh, you yeah. and I were talking earlier today about heroes. Yeah. I mean, yes. they had Primatech paper set up. I was getting like newsletters from a fake paper company. Yeah. Uh, and so I think, uh, yeah, I mean, this is definitely that era to make it happen. But when the yeah. stakes are so high, you know, you have the people who are making the media who's like, well, obviously this is going to happen, but also the real world. Uh, implications especially with like the internet being all so new and y2k being not that far in our past uh it makes it makes sense why people would be concerned they and i also think it's because some of the marketing was pretty legitimate they also streamed media blog updates and radio broadcasts from charlie frost played by Harrison, not Harrison Ford, uh, Woody Harrelson. I mean, you already got recast and remake covered. That <laughs> I is do, gold. I do. <laughs> Hang on to that. His website, this is the end. And so they, they basically did all of this marketing towards that. And 
uh, in a lot of their trailers and their ads, they would do this. At the end of each of the trailers, it would be find out the truth, search 2012. How will you survive? Search 2012. Uh, and so they their call to action was for you to just search 2012. And so when people would search 2012, they would get information about this movie that looked like it was like not only going to have actual legitimate information, but a lot of this information is funneling you to this movie that is the date that everyone is actually inquiring about. Mm. Uh, David Morrison of NASA, who received over a thousand inquiries from people who thought the website was real, condemned it. Uh, he's had several uh, cases of teenagers um, that were saying that they were con uh, contemplating suicide because they didn't want to see the world in. Nice. And he said, I think when you lie on the internet and scare children to make a buck, that is ethically wrong. Uh, and so there was like, again, has he really seen the internet now? Has he seen <laughs> what Ralph did? <laughs> he, uh, he has, he has seen a lot. Uh, and it's, and that's just, uh, that, that, but that's what they did to make this movie and to promote the movie. And I think so much of the appeal of it was just like, well, what's happening? Because again, this movie came out in 2009. And so I think it was also somewhat of a sense of a catharsis for people uh, to be able to see this movie in the same way that people intentionally want to go see horror movies. It's like, I don't want to be scared, but maybe screaming will help. <laughs> Well, I do think they process through story, right? So yeah. this movie came out three years before the event, but I remember it got a surge in popularity again in 2012 yep. uh, when we neared that time. And then uh, similar to like one of the top rentals in 2020 was the movie Contagion. Yeah. Like people just process through story. Right. And if this was a legitimate fear out in the world that it was going to end – uh, yeah, you you work through it, being like, well, what? How how did they do it? <laughs> Taking right. notes. Yeah. Okay. 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 Got get it. Got a pickles. Limo. Pickles okay. is part of it. Got pickles. it. Pickles. Get all my hats. <laughs> this movie, with a budget of two hundred million dollars, went on to make over seven hundred and ninety-one million dollars in the box office. Wow. And uh, that's. That's not even going to come close to getting you a ticket in this movie uh, to be on one of the ships. The And some theaters actually had a really fun thing. They started the film at 2012, um, if you're using military time. Uh, mm. That would be uh, My car can't do that. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I'm no. So very sorry. <laughs> uh, and so then they watched the movie. Now, the synopsis is uh, – and I – you know, I, I feel like I've already talked about it, and you kind of know the premise essentially. Into the, the world. world, into the world. Uh, but I just wanted to read this in movie trailer voice, just because I love what they officially have on the Sony website. From Roland Emmerich, director of the day, the day after to the, the day after tomorrow and Independence Day, comes the ultimate action adventure film exploding with groundbreaking special effects as the world faces a catastrophe of apocalyptic proportions cities collapse and continents crumble 2012 brings an end to the world and tells of the heroic struggle of the survivors i uh i got super distracted because i thought you said incontinence crumble and it put this <laughs> image of like the worst dessert 
in in my head and i i'm i'm sorry i was not engaged oh this is why we enunciate ricky this is why <laughs> we enunciate I mean, oh man so um this movie i had not seen it in its entirety but i definitely remember watching one of the trailers which was just the limo chase scene yeah. um that played everywhere i want to say that they spent a lot of money just showing you that like five minute that five minute scene like and i want to say it was like shown on like 90 percent of televisions at the time and i remember thinking there's no way 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 it's a i I think that scene actually kind of turned me off from the movie and from there i never actually saw it until this podcast and i have to say uh it was it was interesting. So I watched it twice, actually, once with um, myself uh, and the second time with my wife. And she brought up something that I didn't notice the first time around. But she I mean, she was watching. And she's like, this feels like this is two separate movies in the same movie. Dead on. Yeah. Uh, because you have the A storyline, which is like the White House responding to this, you know, geographical disaster and how to all the chiratel lg4 oliver platt stuff yeah yeah and you have you know it's like uh very much like contagion where it's just like okay like how does the world respond to this natural disaster yeah and then you have like almost the sitcom like almost like tim allen is just trying to get out of la uh, to survive, but can he beat LA traffic? But like, it, oh yeah, when they're yelling about like take the highway, get there half the time, being like this guy has never lived in LA. So you, you don't take the highway to get there faster. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, and and it was it was very much that because you have uh John Cusack, uh Amanda Peets, Woody Harrelson, uh all part of like oh, they're all kind that of playing story. Yeah, that side <laughs> of the narrative. Yeah. Right, which, which is important to get because you basically get like the government's bigger global perspective of how this is happening and affecting other uh, political powers. And then you have like the people on the street, like how this is affecting yeah. this one family. But they only but cross over like one major time. Yeah. They kind of just cloud atlas each other and being yes. like, here's my reference. <laughs> uh, but even then... Chiwetel Ejiofor becomes like a super fan in this sitcom that you're describing. <laughs> but I was like, oh, he's so loose and fun. Yeah. Oh. But then, yeah, and then, and, the, and the, they're making jokes. They're just, it's like, was that Paris? Like, I think it was. Ha ha ha. As like the world is crumbling behind them. It's a, it's a, it is a, it is an interesting movie. But I didn't catch that the first time around. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. Cause it's uh, cause I I understand the purpose that they are filling in the movie of like okay well yeah. let's get this chase like will they make it but like by the second time they had to escape the planet uh it was uh, <laughs> my wife was like wait so he has to run away again it was just it was just a really Always really running. interesting perspective yeah because I, I I overall enjoyed it and I thought that they handled it surprisingly well just without it feeling like it was super hokey i guess there's only one scene where i was like i can accept that this entire city is falling into the ocean i refuse to accept that this family in a limo 
with the window open, did not slide out of that limo whenever he barely missed that uh, little crevice. Because I'm like, listen, I've been in many a car, and the slightest, slightest little turn is going to jerk you right out. I've fallen out of many a bus seat to know that that's where I draw the line of reality. It's a luxury limo. It's it's a pretty smooth ride. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, they got nominated for best special effects, um, yeah. like set for the Saturn Awards, and also nominated for, I think, just best. I don't have it in front of me. I think it was best sci-fi and action. So the point being, like this was really well received uh all the money yeah. they made back but it had a lot of critical nominations as well um and i saw it in theaters and remember being very entertained by it uh exactly what you're saying about the two different stories though i you know every now and then i really just want to recut a movie and <laughs> this one has really stirred something of like i want to see the two separate cuts uh yeah even just to make it like a meanwhile sequel, I think would be really interesting. Oh yeah. Oh, that would uh, be really great. Well, the, uh, the runtime on this thing is two hours and 38 minutes. Um, when my wife walked in and saw that I was still watching the movie, <laughs> she said, it's still going on. I said, yes, the world's going to end, but the movie never will. And yeah. <laughs> it is a long movie and because yeah. they pack so much into it, but you definitely could have cut. Hey, I don't know. It, it was very much the style of this kind of film, though. Yeah. Uh, earlier, you and I were talking about other disaster films like it, um, yep. even after, like um, like zombie film, like World War Z, very yep. similar, where you're jumping around the world and you're seeing how they're responding to this crisis. That was the aesthetic. And uh, a lot of that came, uh, I was reading a thing of way back when about this how like lost kind of set that up even though lost mm. didn't jump around the same way that international cast made everything more ensemble in how they did flashbacks then right. heroes adopted it and it started affecting even more films and you're gonna not just follow one character you're gonna follow a handful of characters and yeah. that's how you get what would have been an hour and a half story to be over two and a half hours and and you still get Remnants of that, too. I mean, that that's not like a totally new thing. You hop from location to location like it, they've always been doing that. Um, but I think that connection to there's a global disaster. We have to see it in every country now. Um, that was really specific to this time period of movies. Uh, and we get a ton of different characters because of that everything from the john cusack which is i guess what we're supposed to buy into being like every day like if this happened how would you respond yeah to getting information through the white house stuff but then also i guess more spiritual philosophical uh with with the monk discussions of being like ultimately like how should we feel about this um, right. and providing more existential solutions to you know if this happens how do you move on from it so all of them have their place but i'm really curious to see how the cusack cut goes <laughs> just that family <laughs> comedy but but also the the chubatel cut like i i want to see just like if you follow it as a straight political thriller yeah like how does that do you get all the information you need you still 
You still jump to the stuff with the cruise ship too, because that's part of his story. Just like you cut to the Charlie Frost stuff for the Jackson Curtis storyline. Very interesting though. I think that's what I appreciate about it more now than when I saw it was I felt like there was more to dig into. Um, also, you know, when you watch it in 2009, you're like, ah, what if? Uh, but now you're like, <laughs> right? we're good. You just, it's just like any other disaster movie. Like, we're not making claims. Um, right. Yeah. So that was really interesting. And also having now been a, an adult resident in Los Angeles, that really changed. Like, when they talked about how, where they have to get from where, I'm like, oh, it, I've made that drive. Under this, that I mean, that would be incredibly difficult to do what they did. Like yeah. that airport that they fly out of, I used to drive by that every day on my way to work. Like I know wow. that area. And so that really reframed it for me uh, being like, yeah, if that area just sunk into the ground and we, and you know, the idea of the big one, uh, they always talk about in California, right? Of like, what's the big earthquake that's just going to, I mean, that's the whole premise of Dwayne Johnson's San Andreas, right? Like, yep. just crack away. This movie takes that one concept and just expands it to the entire world. So I, I appreciated that heightening that they were able to dig into. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's really, this movie reminded me very much of, just how often we've been obsessed with uh what what if the end of the world because uh i i remember in college i went to go i paid um human dollars to go see the movie disaster movie Mm. uh and disaster movie was one of the few movies i've ever walked out of uh in the movie theater uh and they were they were commenting on a lot of the disaster movies but then when i did the research i'm like there are kind of disaster movies just constantly out there enough. Like, you know, the deep impacts, even Perfect Storm. I never saw Perfect Storm, but that trailer terrified me. Yeah. Just a trailer of just giant water. You don't have to tell me anything else. That's terrifying. Or even when they did War of the Worlds uh, and they still have that set at the Universal lot. Uh, because of how big of a set they wanted to build for that. And it's just interesting that just how fascinated we are with what would the end of the world look like uh, and how would we respond? Because it's something that we likely won't see in our lifetime, uh, but it's it's fun. Not, maybe uh, fun's not the word, uh, but I think it's, uh, it, it, like I said before, cathartic to... To watch and to see unfold. Well, I think there's a sense of immortality to it too, right? And, and yeah. just being, uh, you know, bulletproof to all of that because no one envisions themselves. I don't. Maybe you do, but as the person that's getting wiped out in the first act, right? Oh no! Everyone's that, like, yeah. "Oh, I'm gonna get through this. I don't know how, but if you can survive the end of the world, you can survive anything." And so I do think there's an empowerment to that. Uh, for better or worse, that people are like, yeah, things are going to be okay. Yeah. 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 yeah there, there was uh, talks to make a 2013 spinoff series that followed basically starting the world over again. Um, because that's kind of where it ends in the movie. They they start over. But I think that that would have been really interesting to watch um, and would have been... 
a, a show that they would have had to retitle almost immediately. Uh <laughs> Uh, I really enjoyed the movie. I kept on wanting Woody Harrelson to say, like, you got to look into your mind. Like, get deep into your head cannon, man. Head cannon, man. <laughs> <laughs> head cannon is a part of the show where we share a few unique ideas about the movie and untold stories based on evidence provided by the film. Now, Grayson, we've talked a little bit about this movie and about the iconic, you know, limo driveway scene for those of you who haven't seen it it's worth watching just the scene alone even if you don't watch the whole movie but imagine if you will a level of grand theft auto where your role is to out drive the world crumbling it's something that i feel like they're probably saving for the last fast and the furious movie like just oh, imagine yeah. that when i like i said before when I first saw that in the trailer, I'm like, this is going to be a ridiculous movie about ridiculous things because none of this seems plausible. Until I asked myself, no, Ricky, like what in what world would you actually be able to do this? Like you if you were to do this the first time around, you would die. The only way that you would have to be able to live this is if you live, died and repeat. Oh, Yeah. I think my headcanon is that John Cusack has actually been living this day over and over again, except it's all just kind of like muscle memory. Like he doesn't know that he's been living the end of the world over and over again, but he has. And that's this is the final version of him living this out and also becoming a better, more attentive father that he has been able to make it through. That'd be such a raw deal if Groundhog's Day was the end of the world. Like I gotta, you wake up, no, I gotta go through this again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good thing yeah, he that, doesn't that, remember. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, my second piece of head is that this is the final installment of Final Destination. Oh, death is just coming for them all. I think that that's the big thing that's happening here is if we look at this in that same premise where it's like, oh, well, he survived this day, who knows, maybe hundreds of times, um, but he hasn't officially died. Uh, I think it's just kind of a buildup. Like at first it it it, it goes um, it's like a couple of little like rumblings or quakes. But as it, he keeps on living the day over the whole earth is like, we got to kill John Cusack's. Uh, and so the whole earth is just like ganging up against him. Can you so. imagine like the end of the movie there? Uh, spoiler alert for the movie, everyone end of the movie. They're on the space arcs and they look over and they just see Devin Sawa. And then the, <laughs> the arcs all explode like, nah. Oh, I, I just think that that I, that those are the things that hooked me into the movie way more. <laughs> I was just like, wait a second. What if this is like Final Destination? Then a lot of a lot of the scenes kind of make a little bit more sense. And what if he is just reliving this day over and over? That's why he is like this close. Like uh, the other time he doesn't find the map. And then he finally does because he makes one slight difference. Uh, it's like, it's like a speed run. A speed run of the speed apocalypse. three. Yeah. <laughs> Limo. Uh, oh, yeah. No, that's great. I like that a lot. Um, so a lot of my head canon, uh, you know, because the world, <laughs> I forgot how 
how much the world actually gets destroyed in this. So originally I was like, oh, my headcanon is that the Charlie Frost character played by Woody Harrelson is the ancestor of Hamish for the Hunger Games. Oh, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. That they got to restart. But I'm like, nah, like the crust is gone. It is like, it is completely gone. But I mean, you could say they, they're both kind of on the outskirts and you know, very similar. But um, one thing, so, so I had a couple of mini headcanons, I guess. One thing I really enjoyed reading through the um, the cast list was that Danny Glover played President Thomas Wilson. Head yeah. canon there is that that it, that character is a descendant of Mayor Goldie Wilson from Hill Valley. <laughs> he worked his way up. Oh yeah! After all these years, so this is the alternate timeline because we know in yeah. 2015, like. Mayor Goldie Wilson III, and then all like is in Hill Valley, but President Thomas Wilson, he did good. He made it all the way to the White House. But my uh, my main main headcanon revolves around the fact that uh, John Cusack and Amanda Peet are reunited here uh, from their work in Identity. And oh yeah! Spoiler alert for Identity. Maybe I can do it without spoiling. Let me just say, no, nah, this is probably going to spoil. <laughs> um, that oh yeah, I remember identity now. Yeah, that the the Earth is actually the dying brain of Malcolm Rivers. Oh, because man. it starts to collapse, similar to a brain. It 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 inflates and morphs and all that. And these are the last vestiges of the previous uh, identities uh, trying to escape. Um, and so they've kind of matrix revel, what was it? Resurrections it. And they don't remember each other. They don't know each other. But uh, in this final moments, as Malcolm Rivers goes to death row and his brain is shut down, um, they have mm. to, they have to escape. Yeah, and also Oliver Platt working in the White House again. Throwback yep. to his West Wing days. How about that? This is a West Wing spinoff. Yeah, look oh, at all man. those walking talks. They were walking so much and talking. I also like the idea that Tandy Newton is uh, a robot, like she is in um, in Westworld. Yeah, uh, but and she was a government program that the president put together, programmed to believe that it was the daughter. She's in. Her job was to protect all of the artifacts, and now she will actually uh, be the overseer of the new human race as their as their artificial protector. Uh, which is why she was one of the few that couldn't be killed, could not be killed. Yeah, wow, that's solid headcanon, Grayson. It's all over the place. But what was really bothering me was the um the kid. The I was yeah. like, where have I seen him before? He's he's uh from Psych. He plays the the younger version. Nice. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Like, oh, dang, yeah. Anyway, that's not headcanon, but that's more of a, a that would be a re- deal. That'd be so cool if that was a real thing. Wow. Great headcanon, Grace. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> My headcanon is that he's had a long career. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, 
Now we're going to go to the part of the show where we like to talk about recasts and remakes. Recast. Remakes. If this movie were to be made today, who would you cast? What would the storyline be? Here's the thing, Grayson. I think we need to basically have a 2012 Netflix, Hulu, whoever picks it up, original series where each episode is like vantage point. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we get... uh, I, because you brought up the whole like yeah it's this uh, ensemble cast type of uh, adventure in the world thriller that there are so many different things that I think that uh, fits the story there's so many different stories that we could tell uh, and in recent days uh, they did that one Steve Carell movie with uh, Natalie Portman what was that called it has something like into the world seeking a friend. Okay, it was it was Kira Knightley. That's why, and it was okay. Steve. Yeah, I'm on seeking- Kira Knightley's page right now because I was like, I th- <laughs> okay, it came out way longer ago. Weird. Yeah, 2012. 2012. That's insane. I did not know that movie came out that long ago. The movie was called Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, and it came yeah. out in 2012. I have seen this movie. I I mean, yeah, because it was an end of the world movie. I was convinced that movie came out like six years ago. Yeah. Uh, okay. Anyway, that movie is a sad movie. It's an adventure comedy drama. But the whole thing I was trying to get to just by finding that one specific movie is that I think every episode could be directed by a different director. And I think it can just be called uh, 2012 Presents The End. And um, we can have like a comedy episode or a rom-com episode or a super drama episode or even like the um, the like political drama episode. Like each episode could have its own genre and own story to tell just about what different people do like as this kind of um, world ending event is happening. Yeah. That'd be cool because it's like your world building ah. around the end of the world. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I think that that would be really interesting. Like basically just Black Mirror, but yeah. it, it's the end of the world. That's kind of what um, I think it was season eight. Honestly, I don't remember uh, of American Horror Story was. Mm. So it was their like apocalypse season and it tied in all the stories of the previous seasons into like how it would lead to the end of the world. And it was all kind of full circle with the series. And then they just kept making series after that, making more seasons. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think that that slice of life as we know it would be uh, good. Yeah. Seeking a friend for the end of the world. I really thought that was more recent. Wow. Why are my hands so old? <laughs> I can't believe yet again I got Kira Knightley and Natalie Portman mixed up again. That's by design, so you can't <laughs> overthrow Naboo. So Fair. that I mean it's Fair. working. Uh all right. How about you? What's what's your recast of remake? Oh, that's right. That's what segment we're in. Yeah, we <laughs> we go away for two, three weeks and we totally lose the yard on this. Um yeah, for my for my recast remake, I I focused more on the White House side of it, um, yeah. because I would really love to see 
Donald Glover played the Chiwetel Ejiofor part. I, I loved his contribution to The Martian uh, when he played kind of the guy that figured it all out. I'd love to see that over the course of a whole film um, yeah. and, and have him dig into the, the science of it and trying to convince people in earnest that like this is a problem and, and just camp out with him on that. So if I'm recasting and remaking, I'm just following that character um, rather than a character that's having to run away and just react to forces way bigger than himself, which is great. I mean, that's absolutely a viable story, but I'd love to see the nuance of, uh, uh, of Donald Glover and what he could do with a little more political intrigue. Yeah. No, I think that that would be incredible. I mean, if, it would be really interesting to see. I mean, because the script lends itself to just so much uh, storytelling that happens in between these pockets of time, right? Mm-hmm. But I feel like they could. At the end of the movie, it almost felt like they were going. They were going to have a sequel. I was just like, so now we just see what they do with Africa now. Like, I really thought oh, that right. yeah. they were going to kind of show that and tell that story so um i really feel like they could they could have done an entire franchise just leading up to 2012 almost like a like a rise of the planet of the apes mm-hmm. where it's just like all everything that led up to the actual planet of the apes and so uh i would also really love to see that um uh, because just even just the making of those ships I mean, those are so impressive and intricate and made in three years. And they're made. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, man, like like Apple would have released at least three different versions of those ships in that time. Well, in all fairness, Apple's products and the ships were made in the same region. So I think that continuity works. Yeah. 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 Man. Uh, but yeah, th- th- there's a, there's a lot of story to tell here because it's all about the world ending, and there's there's some interest there. I I also man, probably just wants to see the love actually of of uh, of 2012. Oh, is that the one with Natalie Portman? Yeah, that's <laughs> the one. <laughs> to have all of these different end of the world stories, and we just expendables it with scientists. <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson, Bill Nye, we're just just like pack them in. Yes. Oh, that'd be great. Get me Bill Nye to the Situation Room. Yeah, it's like Love Actually, but more Bill Nye than Bill Nye. It's it's (laughs) a very subtle but important difference. Oh, good, good. All right, now we're going to go into our final segment where we like to give you our reasons to recommend. So, Grayson, why would you recommend the I'm not even going to say the years because it's going to get too confusing. The movie. <laughs> no, no, the 2009-2012. Yeah. It's like you're selling a car. Um, I, I recommend 2012 because if you're watching it now with the benefit yeah. of hindsight, pressure's off, right? <laughs> Did it. Yeah. Passed it. No. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that movies like this will continue to be made, obviously. You know, as long as there's an earth, there's gonna be the what if of how's it gonna end. And uh I, I what I really enjoyed watching uh this movie through present day eyes 
is this is another one of these cases where there are so many amazing actors in it where this was just early in their career. And so when I watched it the first time, I was like, yeah, this is all John Cusack. I mean, and I was aware of Woody Harrelson as well, (laughs) but he's in such a small part of it. But like, I was not uh, enlightened in the ways of Chiwetel Ejiofor. I hadn't seen a ton of Oliver Platt, even though he's been around for a long time. And, uh, you know, he had done West Wing before this and all that. I knew Danny Glover uh, and, and that kind of like tangential. Oh, yeah, I'm aware. But, you know, actress like uh, like Thandie Newton yeah. uh, or Tandy or Tandy. I, I don't know. Westworld. Um, like Westworld was such a huge break for her that you go back and you're like, oh, she's incredible in Westworld. How have I not seen her before? It's like, you have. You yeah. just weren't paying attention. Yeah. Um, it's always fascinating to be like, man, this movie really, I don't think would have been as successful without such a strong cast. And I think that's why they were able to throw it to so many different storylines because whether it's um, – the guy from just shoot me on the cruise ship or, uh, you know, or the, uh, Amanda. Well, I love Amanda Pete and everything. I should say yeah. that. So really I'm recutting this to be an Amanda Pete story. I think <laughs> is what this is about. Um, but you know, all of those actors, there's really not a, a weak link. Um, I wasn't super interested in like the Russian storyline, but I, I was to the extent that it was, uh, you know, the antithesis of the other family, right? They're just, right. they're not really playing villains because everyone has their own drive. And so that's, I eventually got to it. Wow, two hours, 38 minutes. I understand how that happens. Um, they, all these characters are making survival choices. And right. I think, you know, it cuts through a lot of the artificial character building because you can just look at it and be like, I see what kind of person this is based on the choices they make. Like Charlie Frost is such an interesting character as being just what could be a caricature of a conspiracy theorist, guy in the van type thing. It says so much that he, at the end of it all, is the kind of guy that's just going to stand there and enjoy the end of the world. Um, They never said it out loud. They didn't have to. Woody Harrelson's portrayal of that character says so much more than you could put on the page. And it's a testament to the writing, to the directing, to put the right people in place to get such a conceptual and broad story feel grounded and real with true motivations of survival for each individual character. So I recommend this movie because... Visually, it's spectacular, but it is a character study of humanity and how we would react at our darkest hour. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's I would recommend this movie because it surprisingly holds up very well. Um, A lot of the graphics are like, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's that's that is the world caving in on itself. I've seen worse now. Right. And this was 10 years ago. No, 13 years ago. That this yeah. came out. Yeah. Well, when there it was one scene, and this, my wife and I had the same reaction both times as happening when one of these buildings in, um, I want to say Italy, fell down and it kept on like flooding and moving closer and closer to the camera. And it was just like f- flooding and filling the screen. 
it's ter- like we both were like oh my gosh like like is that the scale like is that how big that building is and we're like it is and it was legitimately like terrifying and it was uh <laughs> At that point, Tom was just like, maybe we need to stop making buildings so big. Because um, <laughs> it was just like, it was like legitimately like off offsetting. And uh, it, it was it was a real thriller. Um, but the movie holds up. The action is still there. And it and it really does cause you to think like, what what would I do? What like, puts you so it puts you in the situation that the characters are in, even when they are driving unbelievably fast to avoid things that would 100% destroy anyone if that was actually really happening but it still put you in that world which I think is an impressive feat for any movie Uh, so I definitely recommend it for that and even though it is about something that happened in the past uh, it's amazing how well um, a lot of the conversations um, and a lot of the things that they are doing still hold up today so yeah, that's very true. Ricky, I'm not going to go full remiss on this, but okay. I, I'm i just going to say two things. Yeah. Slot them in mentally where you will. Okay. Uh, 2012 VR. Ooh, yeah, yeah. And um, 2012 2 <laughs> Rise of Wakanda. There. That's, that's what we got. Oh, more than anything, I want the I want there to be a sequel right now called 2012. 2012. That space is oh. doing some heavy lifting. <laughs> oh man, just that graphic is just making me so happy right now. Uh, yes, I uh, I want that. Thank you, Grace. <laughs> And that was our review of the 2009 movie, 2012. Uh, let us know what you remember about 2012. It can be the year, mm. uh, but uh, but mostly the movie, if you remember it. Uh, let us know on your social media platform of choice on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at Flashback Flicks. And it would mean so much to us if you could leave us a rating or review on your podcasting platform of choice. Uh, we're on Spotify, uh, yeah. Yeah, Apple Podcasts. Sure. And wherever else uh, RSS feeds go to, like, tactfully drive through uh, and away from impending Final Destination Death Monster. Yeah, we're not flying down the the four or five or anything like that. We're we're, we're taking back roads. Yeah. Right? Cutting through condos. Right. Going over office buildings. We, We know... We're we're like a neighborhood restaurant, right? We 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 know the locale uh, when it comes to yeah whatever. We're, what are we doing? Are we rating? Anyway. We got regulars. We we got regulars. You know, there a go. pretty fixed menu. Um, yeah, sure. We're looking into the smell. Just yeah. please stop writing about yeah. this. We, we we're looking yeah. into it. We're working on it. Yeah. Uh, so on a scale of one to five, how would you, or on a scale of one to five, uh, I'd say five star. No, that I'm, I'm getting about space arcs. Like if, if yeah. all five of them were really running. Yeah. On a scale yeah. of one to five space arcs, how would you rate this podcast? Yeah. If it's a one, one and done. Humanity's yeah. not making it. Five of no. them though, we, we got a chance. Let's just, let's put this thing in autopilot for a little bit. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, they're all going to like eat each other up there, aren't they? <laughs> There's no. not enough food. That's what the giraffes are for. Oh, man. 2012-2 is going to be dark. <laughs> let me tell you. This first pass, whew, it's going to be a rough ride. And be sure to tune in next time right here on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast Season 7. And until then, remember to be kind and rewind. Next time on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. You know, Ricky, it's season seven. We've been doing this a long time. Yeah. And I, I think I think this is the year uh, where we really button up, get our act together, get more professional. So mm-hmm. I was thinking, <clears throat> got to take some notes from the best by reviewing the 1994 cinema classic Leon colon The Professional. Oh, okay. All right. I think that that's really great, Grayson. I don't, I haven't seen it yet. I I know this is a classic. People love this movie. I don't know what he is a professional at. I, that's note one that I'm going to take. I think it's probably um, illegal stuff, but I, Ah. you know, that takes a certain kind of mindset and I think we can apply it to podcasting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think Uh, this movie is going to make us better podcasters as a whole. I, you know, it's, it has, something should. Ha, ha, ha.